Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning again. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, as we continue our series in Ephesians, The Mystery Revealed. The Mystery Revealed. It's been a blessing today to have a baptism because if you've been with us for the past several weeks in Ephesians, you know that especially the first half of Ephesians really talks about who we are in Jesus Christ and that we who were, he says in Ephesians 2, that we were dead in trespasses and sins, but that God made us alive in Jesus Christ. And baptism is a picture of that, so what a blessing that is. Today, we're going to look at the second half of Ephesians chapter 5. One of the things that I love about preaching through books of the Bible, as opposed to just kind of picking topics week to week, is it gives us as pastors somewhat of a focus, number one, but also it forces us to preach passages that sometimes are challenging. And then number three, I suppose, if somebody gets mad and says, hey, I didn't like what you said, I can kind of go, well, I'm just kind of following along in the book, right? So today we're going to talk a lot about marriage because that's where Paul is. There's a logical progression here, however, I want you to notice For the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the put-off, put-on principle in Ephesians chapter 4 that began. And then last week, Chaplain Verdon followed up with that as well. And he ended in Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verse 21, where he has this statement, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Once we get here in the passage, there's a logical progression where Paul is going to speak about Okay, here's how that looks in the context of a husband and a wife. Here's how that looks in the context of children. Here's how that looks in the context of servants or slaves and masters. Today, we're simply going to focus on the husband and wife for a couple reasons. Number one, um, we're up up against a little bit of, of a time crunch because we want to have a sermon series on Advent. That's number one. And number two, I believe this, and for those of you, because I know we have a lot of people with children, the greatest thing you can do for your child is to have a godly, biblical marriage. One of the greatest things you could do for your child is have a godly, biblical marriage. So I hope and pray that this is a blessing to, to all of us. For those of you who are not married, if I was to show a hands, some of you would say, yeah, I plan on getting married one day. If that's the case, then hopefully God will teach us some things in this. Because I will tell you this, marriage is at times very challenging. We're going to look today at this subject, marriage demystified. Marriage demystified, as we've talked about so far, the mystery revealed. We're going to see marriage demystified. How many of you who's married would raise your hand and say, yes, we've had some hardships in our marriage? Would you raise your hand? I'm sure none of y'all ever dealt with, like, struggles with communication Let me guess. Communication, finances, fighting about things. We all deal with those things. I I ran across a story about a couple, like all of us, who were arguing about something. And this man trying to justify himself, he, he said this to his wife. Here's an example of what not to do, but here's what the man said. 
He said, honey, how could God, he even brings God into it as if that makes it better. How could God make somebody like you to be so beautiful and yet so stupid? And that's what he put out there into the universe, you know, for, for her to hear. And she very wittingly replied back. She said, well, God, I suppose, made me beautiful so you'd marry me. And he made me stupid so I'd marry you. And y'all are laughing because y'all have had these arguments, haven't you? I, I have too. We're going to look at what God has to say about marriage. We're going to begin in verse 21. I've already read, but we're going to read to the end of the chapter. So keep your Bible open as we look at it together. Here's what it says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, some translations say cleave, to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. What we're going to look at today first is we're going to look at the marriage foundations. In other words, we're going to look at what the Bible as a whole gives as a principles for marriage. And then after that, we're going to look at the marriage principles for husbands and wives, just like we just read. We're going to walk right through what it says to the wives then what it says to the husbands. And then we're going to close with the idea of marriage that mirrors the gospel, and hopefully we'll see some practical things we can do to help us in our marriages or our future marriages. So marriage foundations. Let me say this, and then I'm going to read a couple of passages of Scripture. God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. In Genesis chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, but in Genesis chapter 2, here's what it says when, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the story of the creation. It says that the man, Adam, gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. 
And you may have heard before that Adam was asleep and he woke up and he saw her for the first time, the first naked lady he's ever seen in his life. And he went, what? He went, whoa, man, y'all got to help me out. I'm like your parents' age. I can get away with a dad joke here. Whoa, man, woman. Now, here's the kicker. The next verse, this is in uh, Genesis 2.24, if you want to make a note of this, because this it's interesting that this quote, Jesus quotes, and then Paul quotes again. For this reason, you, see, you hear this in all the weddings. I hope you do. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, holds fast to his wife, or is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Marriage is a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Jesus quotes the same verse out of Genesis in Matthew chapter 19. It uses the word there, some translations say cleave, hold fast to. The Hebrew word for cleave is dabak. It means to join, cleave, join together, stick together. Cleave implies hard work. Cleave implies difficulty and overcoming circumstances. What else I want you to notice in this idea of marriage foundations is when you see creation, you see an order. God creates Adam, and then God take, puts Adam to sleep and creates Eve. And then if you keep reading the story, what happens? They have children. There's something doctrinal about that. What I want you to understand as far as marriage foundations, before we even get too much into Ephesians chapter 5, is this. The order of the creation makes sense. Yours and my ultimate, most important relationship on our life is our relationship with God, number one. The second most important relationship in your life, if you are married, is your spouse. And then third is your children. And you might say, well, wait a minute, I love my children. Well, I hope you love your children. I want you to love your children. God wants you to love your children. But again, one of the greatest things you and I can do for our children is to have a marriage. First of all, have me love God, her love God, each of you love God, and then each of you have that strong relationship with each other. So the order is, number one, our personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Number two, our spouse. Number three, our children. And then everything else falls under there. Marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime. I say that realizing we live in a world where people have all kinds of ideas of, of, what can, of what can go on. We live in a world where cohabitation is the common thing. We have to, we have to try it out and see if we're going to get along. Number one, that's not a biblical view of marriage. And number two, if you read all the studies, you know what they've shown? They've shown that people who cohabitate don't have a higher rate of successful marriages. Go figure. If we don't do things God's way, it doesn't really... It doesn't really work. Now, let me say this before we go on. If you're here today, and you may say, well, Chaplain, I, I don't, my life hasn't fit the model of a biblical marriage. Well, guess what? Don't forget who God is. God's a God who loves. God's a God who forgives. Just like everything else in your life and in mine, if, if, if we find ourselves in a place where we read God's word and we say, I've not had a biblical marriage. That's not how we started or I've done this, or I've done that, and I've had, um, you know, I've, I've committed sexual immorality. Guess what? God's there to reach us. God's there to 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 forgive us. 
So if you're here today, I don't, I don't want you just to hear this message and just be discouraged the rest of the day and go, oh, I've, I've done wrong. Reach out to the Lord. God always gives us a fresh start. But I wanted you to see the biblical foundations for marriage. If we don't understand that, nothing else will make sense. Well, number two, let's go to this. The marriage principles for husbands and wives. I want you to go back to Ephesians 5, keep it open, and we're going to look at it together. If you notice verse 21, look at what it says. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As you read through Ephesians chapter 5, I think Paul is setting the stage for all the other relationships. I think the idea is that the submitting to one another applies to everyone in the sense that in every relationship we're to put others before ourselves. We're to think about the well-being of others. Does, does, that, does that make sense? We're, we're, to, we're to think, as Paul said in Philippians, not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. Well, let's talk through these verses a little bit, beginning in verse 22. He says, wives, what? Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, and he says, the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He reveals a little bit more of the mystery here. Remember earlier in the, in the, in the book of Ephesians, he says the mystery revealed is that, is that the gospel is available to everybody, right? Now, this part of the mystery revealed is saying a picture of the gospel, a picture of the relationship of Christ and the church is, the, is God instituting marriage, husband and wife. That's the illustration that Paul is using. He says that wives are to submit to their husbands in this idea of headship. It's a divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision of the home. Submission is a divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry out everything in their life according to her gifts. Now, go down to verse 24. I want you to look at it real quick. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, this does not mean, and we'll talk, we'll unpack this, this does not mean that a wife is some sort of doormat. This also does not in any way imply that it is at any time right for anybody to be abused. If you know someone in a relationship who's experiencing abuse, this is not justification for someone to abuse someone else. We know through all of Scripture that all of us are created in the image of God and it is always wrong to abuse someone else. So that this, is not a, this is not something that says, oh, a husband can abuse his wife or somebody just can abuse just anybody because of this headship thing. Not at all. Here's why. Look at verse 25, and let's unpack this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The last verse in this chapter says that the wife is to respect her husband, but time and time again, this passage goes to this idea of the husband is to love the wife. It talks about the idea of being sacrificial 
Who does it compare the husband to? The relationship between Christ and the church. That means that everything a husband does in the relationship of the marriage is to be for that wife's best interest. I believe many times there's two unbiblical ways that the man's headship is played out. I think in our society we see two ways that, that this doesn't play itself out in a biblical way. Number one is, is many times we'll see a perversion of that role. We'll see a perversion of that role. We'll see somebody with the idea of, of I'm the head, so I'm the boss. I'm the king. What I say goes. Those liars out there who say, I always have the last word with my wife. No, you don't. But, but that mentality, I lord it over and I use this verse as sort of a bully pulpit. You'll see a perversion of the role. But then sometimes you'll see a passivity about the role. And I believe this one is just as, just as sad and just as detrimental. It's an abdication of responsibility. That's the husband who, yeah, he's not lording it over, but, but that husband's not doing anything. He spends all of his time and energy into everything else except for the marriage. But he says in the passage, what? Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And then he makes a statement, he who loves his wife loves himself. And here's what he means by that. He says, nobody, everybody takes care of themselves. Husbands, is, or raise your hand if you're already thinking about what you're going to eat today. I will go ahead and raise my hand. I have already thought about it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Why? Because Paul knows, Paul knows how he thinks because he's a man too. It says every, every husband, look at, look at verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That's why we're thinking about eating. That's why we take care of ourselves. Why? Because I'm going to take, take care of myself. He says, that's the way you love your wife, but even more so because it's sacrificial the way Christ loved the church. The one flesh union that it talks about between a man and wife is in a sense they're now one body so that the husband cares for his wife as he does himself because they're one. Headship is not a right to command and control. It is a responsibility to love like Jesus Christ, to lay down your life for your wife in servant leadership. It's not, it's not slavish. It's not coerced. It's not cowering. That's not the way Christ wants the church to respond to his leadership, right? He wants us to love him as his church. He wants this leadership to be free together. It doesn't mean this sort of lorded over mentality. It means that as a husband and wife work together, they're going to seek the leading of the Lord and they're going to love each other in the process. As you buy a house, as you buy a car, as you make life decisions, certainly work together. And as I was thinking about how this plays out, I thought about this story, and I will go ahead and tell you that I knew Cheryl, my wife is Cheryl, she's in Children's Church, and I want to give the caveat that I specifically asked her if I could use this as an illustration, and she said yes. So before you go tell on me, I've already got clearance, okay? I just want to tell you. Cheryl and I have been married for 15 years. Uh, we got married a little bit later than, than many of you did, and Cheryl... 
I will just say over the past several years, she has gotten to where she likes the house a lot colder than I do for many reasons. She gets hotter than I do. If you ladies, y'all can, Cheryl can tell you all about all about all that stuff, because that's coming, I think, apparently for for all of you one day. So that's where she's at now. I'm kind of a skinny guy. The army keeps me slim and trim. And when I first got here to Hawaii, man, I just I like the idea. I was like, oh, man, we're in Hawaii. It's breezy. We're just going to keep the windows open. And it's just going to be this nice, you know, get up to 75, 76, 78. I was kind of happy. Guess who didn't like that temperature? Cheryl didn't like that temperature, especially at night. So if you have any extra meat at your house that you need to hang somewhere, you could put it in my bedroom right now because it's amazing how cold you can get that one mini split to go down. And it's strategically the door stays closed and all that stuff. Now, why do I share that illustration? Because if you pin me down, I like it a little bit warmer. But wait a minute, you're the head of the house. It's your temperature. No, it's not. But what's the bigger issue? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I don't share that story because I'm the hero in it. I share it because it's one of the few where I can give myself a win, so to speak. I'm just like y'all. I've got all kinds of stories where I didn't take the win. I learned some things the hard way as well. But sacrificial love. What this passage of Scripture does is two things. Watch this. It guards against the abuses of headship by telling husbands to love like Jesus, and it guards against the debasing of submission by telling wives to respond the way the church does to Christ. In all of my marriage counseling, what I do is I give the caveat. If somebody wants to come to me for marriage counseling, I say, that's perfectly fine. I, I just want you to know, is it okay if I you know, share from my Christian background? And they say yes. And, and I'm, I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to read this. Folks, it is amazing. I literally, as they come to me with their, it's usually something about finances, it's something about communication, and they're going back and forth. It's amazing as they read through Ephesians 5 and they start understanding this concept of like what this woman really wants from this man is love and cherishing. What this man really is looking for for his wife, sure he wants, wants her to love him, but what he really wants is respect. He, 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 want, he, wants, he wants to know that she believes in him. And as they share their problems, and then we read this passage, you know what happens? I literally can see the light bulb go off on top of their little heads over there across the, across the couch from me. And I go, thank the Lord. God's word makes sense when we read it that way. God knows this because he created us. Women need love. Men, what they really desire is respect. The way that works is point number three, and that is we need to have a marriage that mirrors the gospel. A marriage that mirrors the gospel. Look down at verse 31 in Ephesians chapter 5. Here's the quote again. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, cling to his wife, and the two become one flesh. The mystery is profound but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is marriage demystified. In a world where there's all kinds of cloudiness about relationships and marriage, this clears all that up. 
The point of marriage is that it is a metaphor that stands for something more than a man or woman becoming one flesh. It stands for the relationship between Christ and the church. That's the deepest meaning of marriage. It's meant to be a living drama of how Christ and its church relate to each other. Jeffrey Bromley said it this way, as God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. If you read in the book of Revelation, you know it's at the end of the book of Revelation, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because he's using that relationship between Christ and his church. The church, we as a church are Christ's bride. When we live out our relationship here on earth, it's to mimic Christ in the church. I didn't give you this on the outline, but I'm going to share several practical ways you and I can mirror the gospel in marriage. Feel free to write these down. They're not going to be on the on the screen, but I want to I want to point a couple out to you. Point number 1. Make sure everyone in your house knows that your marriage is the primary relationship in the home. It's more important than your relationship with the children. Again, those of you who have children in the nursery, those of you that have children in in children's church right now, the greatest thing you can do is cultivate your relationship with one another. Make sure people people know that. Make sure people that you work with know that that's your most important relationship. Make sure everybody knows because you live that out. Let me give you another one. We live in a world where there's many temptations and Satan wants to destroy marriages. So I would highly encourage you to put up safeguards to avoid evil. Things like internet pornography. Remember when Jesus said, if your right hand calls you to sin, cut it off? Remember that? His point is, take seriously, take drastic measures to ensure that your life is a life of of living and loving the Lord. In your marriage relationship, this is so important that you want to do everything you can to adultery-proof your marriage and to make sure no sexual immorality is there. And if put up, put up website safeguards, do internet safeguards, do those things, have accountability. Never be alone with members of the opposite sex. Just don't do it. Some people refer to that as the Billy Graham rule. It's worked for me very well. I think there's many in this room that could testify that's worked for them very well. Why is that so important? Because your relationship with your spouse is the most important. So don't be alone with members of the opposite sex. Husbands, remember this whole idea of love and cherish and all that. Give your wife words of affection. And I'm going to borrow a word from the five love languages. Some of you may have never heard of this. Give your wife non-sexual touch. Some of you are like, what is that? What? Some of you guys are like, what is non-sexual touch? Write it down. Non-sexual touch. Women want what? They want love. That's why Paul commanded this guy, love her, cherish her, give her affection. And sure, that deals with intimacy and sexuality, but it deals with a whole lot more than that. 
you and I, as, as men, sometimes I'm talking to the men. Sometimes we we can turn everything into intimacy. We we can turn everything into sexuality. You come home uh, from work, and she says, "Babe, it's it's time to it's time to cut the grass." And then you're like, "Yeah, I'll be your I'll be your grass cutter if you know what I mean." Like, what what are you talking about? Or you come home you come home and 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 she's got a big pile of laundry and, and she's like, hey, it's, I, I need some help doing this laundry. And he says, oh, I'll do your laundry. And, and she's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, no, really. Sometimes it really just means do the laundry. Sometimes it just really means cutting the grass. By the way, those things will help with what you're getting after as well, guys. Just saying. Words of affirmation. Let me say this in another way. When you read through what Paul is teaching... Here are two questions that the husband and wife are asking. Every single day, that wife is looking at her husband and she's asking this, do you love me today? Do you love me today? When I read this idea about respect and submit, you know what I think that man is really asking? Do you respect me today? And do you believe in me today? An example in my own life would be, I always want to, I want to preach messages that honor the Lord, and I want to do a good job preaching. And I'm more than happy to hear what anybody has to say about my preaching because I want to get better. But you know what I'll do eventually? I record all these messages, and we put them on SoundCloud. And you know what I'm gonna, you know who I'm really gonna want to hear from? The one who's over there in Children's Church. And eventually, I'm gonna say, Hey, have you have you listened to the sermon yet? How, how'd you think it went? Why, why am I so wrapped up in what Cheryl thinks about my sermon? Well, number one, she's heard a lot of sermons and she's very honest. But number two, my inner being craves her to respect me. I want, I want to know that she believes in me. So that's why I'm asking her those things. Women ask, do you love me? Men ask, do you believe in me? Here's another one. How to mirror the gospel. How about granting and asking for forgiveness on a regular basis. Granting and asking for forgiveness on a regular basis. What is the gospel? The gospel is a picture of the fact that we were sinners in need of a Savior. Christ lived a sinless life, the Son of God. He died on the cross, and three days later he rose again. And the Bible says that by believing in him we don't perish, but we have everlasting life. What, what did Christ do when he died on the cross? He was paying for sin. The gospel is all about forgiveness. Remember the put-off, put-on principle from a couple of weeks ago? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Cultivate forgiveness in your home. It's easy for a home to become contentious if forgiveness is not a regular part of this home. That's why granting forgiveness and receiving forgiveness is a picture of the gospel. You say, how do I know when it's time to give forgiveness? It's going to happen because we're all still living in this world and we're all still going to mess up from time to time. You are going to give each other plenty of opportunity to grant and receive forgiveness. One of the most powerful things you could do in your home is for everyone in it to know, hey, what I did was wrong. I sinned against you. I should not have said that. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? That is giving a picture of the gospel. When I talk to couples, one of the things is, as we get after their relationship and working on those things, we find those things where there's unresolved things where, where forgiveness needs to take place. That's what Paul's getting at 
when he says this, I'm, I'm speaking of Christ and the church. Our marriages are to look like the gospel. And one of the ways you and I can do that is to grant and receive forgiveness regularly. What about those who are not married? Well, as I read through what Paul is teaching in this passage, I think if we're not married, then we cultivate this type of godliness in our lives now. For those of you who are looking to get married one day, I would encourage you, it's not so much seeking that person as much as seeking yourself to be like Christ. I, I would encourage I know there's all I don't I, I don't even I'm, I don't even pretend to keep up with what's going on in the dating scene. It would scare me to death to even have to think like that at this point in my life. But all the apps and all the stuff that's out there and all the craziness that goes on. My encouragement to any Christian young person is to simply strive for godliness and be a picture of the gospel in your own life. And I believe God will bless that. And I believe God will lead you from there. But what about those of you who say? You know, when I look at my life right now, my life does not, my marriage does not look like that. Well, guess what? God's, God's still on the throne. God still loves you. And God still wants to bless you and work in your life. I encourage you to take some time to work on that marriage and to, and to look at those things together. If you're here and you say, well, back in my past, I didn't start things God's way. God's a God who forgives. God's a God who loves, just reach out to the Lord and he forgives and he, and he will save. Next week, we're going to look at spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'll say this and then we'll close and we'll sing together after that. Satan wants to attack marriages. Our battle is not against flesh and blood as we'll learn next week. One of the greatest things we can do to be a blessing to the world around us is to have marriages that are centered on Jesus Christ. I encourage each of us in our lives to have marriages that mirror the gospel so that in this world of craziness, we demystify things a little bit for people and show the world an example of the love of Jesus Christ. Would you stand together and let's pray and then we'll sing together as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us in your word this picture of the church that is holy and without blemish. I thank you for this picture of our husband and wife relationships as that of Christ and the church. I pray for your people today. I pray that as we go, that we would love you, that we would live out these principles of how to be a picture of the gospel to the world. God, for those of us who are struggling in this area, for those of us who have some things to work on, which includes me, God, I pray that we would continue to strive to love you, to love our spouses, and to be a blessing to the world. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.